one more week in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've got this week and one more. Next week we'll be in the Sermon on the Mount. And next week is one of my favorite passages from the Sermon on the Mount. I've been going for all these weeks, not just can't wait to get to next to the last one. That's one of my favorite passages in the Scripture, period. And, uh, but this week we are looking at a uh, um, passage of Scripture and uh, I'm going to look at uh, just a couple of very meaty verses. We've got to pay real close attention here. We've been cruising through the Sermon on the Mount as a group pretty much since uh, our second time we got together. And we've just been cruising through here. This is a 16th part. We took a break last week with Mother's Day. Uh, if for some reason you missed that, um, I suggest you can get that, on the, get that from our website. And you can download that, stick it on your iPod, and listen to my nasally voice as you're exercising. And uh, it's all so pleasant. And uh, why would God give me a nasally voice and ask me to preach? There's so many people with better sounding voices than me. So many. But he asked me to do it. A little tiny miracle. Anyway, so we're cruising here. And we're in uh, verses 21 through 23. And we're just going to read this right quick. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, it's not beating around the bush here, I will tell them plainly, away, <clears throat> I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. Boy, this is a startling passage of Scripture. When you really think about its implications, this is a startling passage of Scripture. Because Jesus is not addressing the people who had no idea who he was. They know enough to call him Lord. They're doing things in his name. My goodness, this is a startling passage of Scripture. He's talking to people who are aware of who he is. And so we really need to break this down and, and look at this and look at how Jesus defined discipleship. Because if we're not careful, then following God can become something it was never meant to be. And we've, we've, got, to, we've got to be careful. And that's what Jesus is warning us about. There's a London's University College was founded by a guy named <coughs> Jeremy, <coughs> pardon me, Jeremy Bentham, and uh, he was a very interesting guy. This guy pioneered a whole lot of different causes, was very much against slavery, was a pioneer of the utilitarian movement. He was pioneered some, some pretty radical social causes that are still, to this day, very radical. And uh, this was back in the 1700s. This guy was, uh, in his day, a very, very different individual. And uh, anyways, when he founded this, he, one of his favorite causes was University College there in London. And he was on the board, and he was so into it that when he, when he passed away, he requested that they put his body in the boardroom permanently to always be a part of the board meetings, to always be a part. So they, back in 1830s, they reconstructed his skeleton and put his best suit on it and placed a, a wax head of, of him on its shoulders and stuck him in a display case in there. And it is there still to this day. It is at University College. And 
<coughs> there on, on the minutes of every meeting, it has said that of those who are present, it puts everyone who's present and Jeremy Bentham present but not voting. <laughs> In every one of these. See, the deal is, is at that point, he, he's there. there. There's some structure. There's some semblance of him being, but there's no good being done, not on Jeremy's end and not on the other guy's end. He's, he's present. He's in the meeting. He's, he's there, but there's no good being done. He's present but not voting. It ultimately doesn't matter. When it's all said and done, it's pretty silly and creepy. It's all said and done. That's just, that's just creepy. I mean... The, uh, and the students didn't revere it very, very many times. They've, they've, Jeremy Bentham, is at, at a pra- as, a, as a practical joke, has, has lost his head a few times. And uh, as they steal his head away from, from his body. But ultimately, that's what we want to make sure, that we're not around the right things and just sitting there physically being present and not getting the benefits of those things. Jesus is here in this passage talking about people who are around the right things, the, the demons being cast out and the miracles and understanding that Jesus is, Jesus is Lord. They knew the right title to call him. But men, ultimately, they were missing out. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to go through some sort of motion. So one of the first things we're going to look at is just look at what Jesus had to say and what doesn't put us in right standing with God. What are the things that don't put us in right standing with God? Then we're going to look at the thing the one thing that does. The first thing that we want to look at is <clears throat> saying the right thing. See, they said, Lord, Lord, and that's right. You know, every, at some point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The Bible says that even the demons understand who he is and his power, and they shudder, but they're not in right standing with God. Simply saying the right things or understanding to reference him in the right way just because you're able to do it doesn't mean that you that it puts you in the right place simply lip service isn't going to get you there <clears throat> Charlemagne whenever he was making his conquests that he would go through and he had a practice that he was wanting to Christianize the, the world all of the territories that they that they take in in, in England with, with under Charlemagne they were going to make sure that all of these people were, were Christians. So at sword point, they would make them confess Jesus as Lord and force them to be baptized and force them to be converted. And uh, ultimately, they begin to realize this did not produce very, very good disciples. This was not high-quality disciples taking place here. There was something wrong here. So Charlemagne had a brilliant idea. He said, we're going to shift our technique. We're going to, these people need to do this of their own accord. They need, to, they need to make this of their own accord. So for everybody that we conquer, everybody that gets baptized and, and says the right thing, then we're going to give them all a brand new clean white shirt. Well, a long time ago, I mean, nice clothing was hard to come by. This is quite the bribe. I mean, this was a, this was a big deal. So, man, they started having people. They were conquered anyways. You know, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my shirt out of this deal, and uh, you know, been there, done there, and got the T-shirt. You know, they were doing it. That, that concept's an old concept, and so they're going through. And there's a fantastic quote because so many people took Charlemagne up on this deal. They ran out of shirts. They didn't have any shirts. So instead of this nice linen white shirt, you know, that that they could have, then they had to switch and start giving them yellow coarse shirts made out of coarse fabric. Because they just ran out. 
And this is the quality of disciple that they were creating under that uh, deal. The, um, one of the uh, <coughs> Saxon chieftains who got offered a yellow shirt, he had this quote. says, I have been baptized already 20 times and received white shirts. He got baptized. They were getting in line. They, just, they had no record keeping. I'm getting another white shirt. I'm going to get back in this line again. My shirt and uh, he got baptized 20 times already and received my white shirt i refuse to be baptized anymore and will have nothing to do with a religion that is so stingy with its clothes and they shifted and started giving yellow shirts yellow coarse shirts forget this noise i'm not going to be a christian anymore these folks are stingy with their clothes and i'm out of this deal as the quality of uh, of disciples that they were making under the deal of, of bribing people to do it. It's not simply saying the right things. That's not what it is. Simply because you, you got wet. Simply because you got the t-shirt. You know, I've proved I've got the shirt. I've bought a Christian shirt at the, at the bookstore. I'm bound to be in right standing with God. You know, I've said these right things. I understand that he's, that he's Lord Jesus now, aren't I in right standing? I can say the right thing. That's bound to be it. That's bound to cover it. According to Jesus, that doesn't cover it. Matthew 21, verse 30 says, Then the father went to the son and said the same thing. I went to the other son. The first son, he, he says, and uh, first son, he goes to him and says, Hey, I need you to go and work in the field. He says, Sure, I'll go. But doesn't go and do it. He just says the right thing. The next one says, <clears throat> sir, I will go. Well, sorry, I'm getting, out, I'm getting out of order. That's what this, this verse says. I didn't put enough verses on here. So you're going, they went and the first one said, I will go. He didn't go. And, but the next one said, you know what? I don't want any part of this deal. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go and work. But then afterwards, in his heart, he repented and he shifted. And he went and followed and did what? what the father said ultimately which one is the one that did what and honored the father was it the the guy who said the right thing and never followed through or the guy who was honest and said i don't want any part of that but eventually shifted jesus said it was the guy who eventually did the will of the father matthew 26 verses 48 through 50 it says now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them this is judas it says the, <clears throat> the one i kiss is the man arrest him Going at once to Jesus, Judah said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Judas called him Rabbi, called him Jesus, greeted him, treated him nice, and all in the process of betrayal. Just because the right things flow off your lips doesn't mean that, there's, that that's going to get you into right standing with God. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Even though these wonderful things are coming off of my lips and it's not rooted in love, it's just noise. It's just clatter. It's not getting you anywhere or accomplishing anything. See, the thing is, is we have to contrast those who call him Lord, Lord, with Romans 10.13, it 
It says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't ever just say whoever calls him Lord shall be saved. It's whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's those that cry out to God. Did you hear <clears throat> here in this passage, they were, uh, Peter, uh, Paul is referring back to Joel chapter 2. We're talking about in the last days he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Peter quotes the same place back in the second chapter of Acts. The, the believers all show up in the streets speaking in tongues and prophesying and saying the wonderful things of God and everybody's scratching their head going, what is going on here? He says, this is the deal. And, that, and when the Spirit of God gets poured out on all flesh, then whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not just whoever can call him Lord, but whoever calls on him, whoever makes him their Lord, whoever cries out to him to receive what he has, whoever does that. You know, I can know to call him Larry. I can know to do that. But when I, it doesn't matter if I can simply call him by name <clears throat> to have a relationship with him. There's a lot of people I can call by name. There's a lot of people I can sit there and pick their and call them the right name. Relationship happens when I have called on Larry and I begin to speak to Larry and I begin to engage with Larry and I begin to converse with Gary and Larry. <laughs> See, I mess all sorts. I mess all sorts of stuff up, can't I? And uh, begin to converse, and then we have that, that transfer. At that point, now there's a relationship. Now, me and Larry or Gary or whatever, Barry or whatever I want to call him, have a relationship. Or Paul. That is what it is about. The next thing that doesn't get us there is working for God. And there are so many people who think. That simply, if I'm going to just do stuff for God. Here, there in that passage, there in verse 22 and 23, uh, out of Matthew 7, Jesus is referring that people are going to say, didn't we do all this great stuff in your name? We did all this wonderful stuff, stuff that Jesus did himself. Casting out devils, prophesying, working miracles. And Jesus didn't say, you didn't do any miracles, you're making that up. No. They very well may have. They very well may have demons, demons cower at the name of, 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 uh, of Jesus. We even have biblically the reference where the seven sons of Sceva decide they're going to jump in in the middle of this uh, casting out devils thing, and they have no relationship with Jesus, and they decide, we're going to do this, man. We're going to get in here and deal with this guy, and we cast you out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And, boy, it got, uh, got the devil's attention. He says, now wait a second. Jesus I know and Paul I know, but I don't know you. And then that demon-possessed guy whipped seven guys and whipped them naked. I mean, he whooped them naked. What kind of whooping does it take to whoop somebody naked? I mean, at some point you think one of the seven could get out of there. You know, first you see the one naked guy, you're like, dude, I'm done. This dude means business. I'm out. Boom. Thank you. Man, all of them. Them all. That's just messed up. And, uh, but man, that does just simply doing these things in Jesus' name, isn't it? Remember before I talked about running into the guy on, 
on campus who was decided he was going to be going into religion. You know, he was going to, that he, like he was going into accounting or, or going into some other field. You know, it wasn't this call. And then, sure, he would have studied it. Man, I'm telling you what, there's a lot of people who know the Bible way better than I do that have no relationship with God. There's a lot of people who study it inside and out. They can quote it. They look at it as like a piece of history or some folklore, and they know it like they know the Canterbury Tales or something. And they know it way better than I. And they don't have any relationship with God. Why? Because it doesn't come through just work. It doesn't come through that. There's uh, uh, the Pillsbury and a number of the early um, baked good stuff were creating things for, for stay-at-home moms and trying to make things as Industrial Revolution takes off and we've got, uh, um, you know, uh, Rosie the Riveter and all of these different things are going through history and moms are beginning to be working. They're working. They're, they're getting stuff done. And they don't have time to spend all this time in the kitchen doing all this stuff. But there's still this motherly requirement. You've got to have all the meal done and you've got to have a dessert. So they decide that they're going to make the, these, these instant cake mixes. And instant cake mix, and just add water. Water is all you've got to add. Well, for some reason, the cake mixes did not sell well. They did not take off. It didn't skyrocket like they thought. And there had been a lot of internal debate even before they launched them on one ingredient, on whether or not they should put one ingredient, and that was powdered egg. Because the cake's got to have some egg in it. And so and there was debate on whether or not they were going to do that. So they shifted and said, okay, now, and they restructured the formula and said, now just add water and a fresh egg. And then the, all of a sudden, whoosh, sales run through the roof. Why? Because all of a sudden that seems a little more homemade. All of a sudden that doesn't feel like cheating quite as bad. <laughs> There's a little more work involved. You know, for some reason, we think there's something going to be special. It's going to require a little work. And everybody wants to sit there and see this. Oh, man, I understand how, how I understand my own sins. I understand all this stuff. And I'm going to have this relationship with God. Well, there's, there's got to be some work thrown in this. I need, it can't be as easy as just accepting what Christ has done. It can't be that easy. How can it be that easy? It requires something of me. You know, requires something big of me. You know, I got to do something big. And then I can, you know, be in right standing with God. I just, one ingredient, my faith in you, that's it. Can't be that easy. We, as now, we want to, we want to say we work. Well, I pull myself up by my own bootstraps in this life. You know, I, I want to work for it. But guess what? Works doesn't get us there. Not with God. We couldn't work that hard. We can't do it. It's not capable. We can't make it on our own in that way. There was a poll of 7,000 Protestant young people from all denominations that were asked these questions, and here were their answers, <clears throat> whether or not they agreed with the following statements. First one was, the way to be accepted by God is to try sincerely to live a good life. Now, these are, these are young people who are churchgoers. 60% of them agreed with that statement. That the way to have a relationship with God is to sincerely try to live a good life. You just do your best. God will understand. Next statement was, God is satisfied 
if a person lives the best life that he can. 70% of that same group agreed with that statement. That you just, you just do your best. It's like mom and dad telling the kids, you know, you just do your best and I'm happy. Well, that may work with parenting, but that doesn't get us there with God. We were dead. This isn't just do. We were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. That doesn't just doing our best can't get there. Old, uh, old Jeremy Bentham, he was doing his best in that meeting. All those bones could do was sit there. He was doing his best. But it made no difference. It didn't matter. The third statement was the main emphasis of the gospel is on God's rules for right living. The main emphasis of the gospel. And over 50% agreed with that. It's just not the case. It's not about how good we can try or trying to live a set of rules. Bless God, Jesus came and freed us from that. Now we can be in right relationship with God through what Jesus has done, and we don't have to get bound down and all that. And you know what? Our, our fleshly nature, we so want to get back to that. We so want to. We still want to get back to, well, you know, I understand it, but I'll, I'll read my Bible more. I mean, if someone tried to do that, oh, I'm going I'm to be in better standing with God because I'm going to read more. Oh, man, I just haven't prayed enough. I need to pray more. And then that'll, that'll answer everything. Well, maybe talking to the God of the universe more is a good idea. That's, a, that's probably a good idea. But to pray more simply to get his attention is a bad idea. That's a bad idea. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 <clears throat> tells us, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. In this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. Now look at this. This, this passage ties it all so good. Because then people say, well, so, so now that we're believers, we just get this. We have this sloppy grace. We just receive this Jesus, and then we just live however we want to and all of this stuff, and I just can't, I just can't stomach that. Well, look, let's look at this passage. This fixes it all. It blends it wonderfully together and shows us. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not, not, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work. Wow, good works finds its way into the believer's life, but not as a point of salvation. It's an expression of what Christ is in. All of a sudden now, I'm going to start acting like Jesus, and he did good things. And I'm flowing in that not to get a relationship with God, but because I have a relationship with God. It's two totally separate thinking patterns, two totally separate deals, which God prepared in advance. For us to do god has a way that he wants to express himself uniquely through you these good works that we're prepared in advance for us to do these are things god i'm not going to be in the places you're going to be i'm not gifted like you are they're just things you you can do that i could never do or anybody else any of the greatest men of god on the face of the planet can never be the, the person God created you to be. And these good works don't put you in relationship with God. They ex be expressed as the, the relationship you have with God comes out. And the last one is, is doing only. 
It doesn't come down to just doing only. Yeah, we yesterday I um, was helping Brandon out. We were trying to run some some cable into his living room. You got to have cable in the living room. It's just wrong in this day and age. In the living room. So we were running cable into his living room, and I got under the house, and uh, I had Weston and Connor under the house crawling around with me, and boy Carson is six years old and he is a working machine he loves to work that is his favorite thing to do he likes to work for Christmas he asked for a number of things and he asked for a rake and a shovel <laughs> work and he wanted a real one not some little plastic thing that can't do any man work he don't want this little symbol of work Ooh, look I can do a little kid work no he wanted metal he wanted something that could do real work and when we presented it, and we, we, they, my, parent, grand, my parents, his grandparents gave it to him, boy, he was so excited, and his cousins were like, what's the big deal? It's a, it's a rake and a shovel. You got gypped, kid. You know, they're all in their heads like, what's the matter with this kid? He just loves to work. Well, man, he was sitting there, and he wanted to get under the house, and he wanted, he wanted to help. Well, I had enough help. And I was like, this is not, this is not your day. This is not your time. I'm telling you, man, his day was ruined. He loves going over to the Moore's house and play. It's a great place to be until his older brother is under the house working, and he's not. He begged. He asked me 37 times to get under there. He begged and begged, please let me get in. Can I stand in the hole? Can I just stand in it? I don't have to get all the way under the house. I just want to stand in the hole. And then I had to get out. I had to get out of the hole, out from under the house, and come in and do some stuff. And we come in there, and he's all <laughs> sulking. And I, and I said, <gasps> it's like, uh, Carson, what's the matter? I'm trying to get happy. <laughs> <laughs> why, are you, why are you trying to get happy? Because I want to get under the house. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, he was just. He was just, he was just working, 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 working at it. And the deal was, is he was going at it all from the wrong angle. Poor little six-year-old, he was just going at it all from the wrong angle. He had his buttons there, he had all of those stuff, he had tons of fun that he would all normally enjoy, and he was just focused on the wrong thing. And it just ruined his day. It just messed it over. It was over. I mean, he had no fun. The whole day, because he was so upset that he didn't get under the house. And all y'all are thinking, I'm a mean dad now, because after five hours of relentless begging, I did not give in. But uh, I didn't. And so now I'm going to take him under our house. <laughs> and I'll find something to do <laughs> under our house. And, uh, but you, you said you, we can't be looking and focused on the wrong thing. We won't get to our destination. No matter how much we want these other things to work for us, they're not going to. They're dead ends. They're not going to get there working and, <clears throat> and just saying the right things. They're not going to do it. There's a story of uh, some detectives that in uh, Brooklyn, New York, that went to go get an escapee. The guy had been on the run for years. And they finally tracked him down and had been following him. And he goes into a a drugstore there just to buy some, some normal stuff there in Brooklyn, slaps his money down on the hill, and the guy reaches over, the detective reaches over, grabs his arm, and says, you're under arrest. And the guy's like, what am I under arrest for? And then he just reads it. He says, you are so-and-so, 
you have <clears throat> you busted out of uh, you busted out of prison. You've been living on this address you, with this woman. You've been doing all these different things. We've been tracking you, and now we've got you. He says, "You're right. I'm the man." He says, "Let let us go back, and I want to explain to my family. They don't know that this is the case. They don't know I've been on the run. It'd been like six years. He had small children, and he he had started his own life over. So he goes and takes the detective, takes the officers with him, and stands before his wife and children and tells his his wife and children, "Haven't I?" been a good husband haven't i worked hard haven't i loved you haven't i taken care of you and she's you know crying and she's yes you've been a the wonderful husband you've been the perfect husband and the kids you turn to the kids haven't i been a great father haven't i spent time with you haven't i loved you haven't i done all this stuff and the kids are just crying and saying yes you're a great daddy you've been the perfect daddy i just can't believe this is the case and and you know and he's playing on the detective's heart he's just trying to prove he's a different man just Leave me alone, and I'll resume this great life, and the world will be a better place for it. And the detective <clears throat> turns to him and, and lets him know that simply because he's done a lot of good things and has, has is in the right standing with his family, he was not in right standing with the state of New York. It did not undo those things. That's the, that's the whole point. We, we try to put things on a scale in our minds. We want to say, well, these bad things over here, if I'll do enough good things, then I'm going to tilt the scale. That doesn't make our sins. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's so hard for us to conceive that because we weigh and measure and compare and, and all of those different things. And it's just not the case. Doing outwardly does not cut it. Matthew 5.20 says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we've already discussed this there here in the Sermon on the Mount, it says unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's got to go deeper than just simply heeding the bulk of the law, than just being a good citizen. It's not, it has to go deeper than that. We have to allow God's righteousness to come on the inside of us. And we have to remember that even once we've entered into righteousness, that we are alive in Christ and we are free from all that other thing. So with this, then we're going to look at the one thing that does get us there. Matthew 7, 21b says, But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's the one. So what is that? What is the will of God? Well, Jesus defines that himself. Jesus defined what the will of the Father is. We look at John 6, 40. It says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's what it comes down to. That's the will of God, that we would simply believe on the one that he sent. He's the only one. Jesus' Jesus's death was, was, was not just this token thing to get our attention. Jesus' death was the only thing that was going to put us in right standing with God. Our, the, our shortcomings were a serious deal. Our sins were a sh serious deal, and death had to be paid. And then when we recognize this and understand this, oh, man, it changes everything. John 3, 18 says, for whoever believes in him is not condemned. Man, I tell you what, one of the toughest things, one of the toughest things for somebody who is walking in a 
remember that they're not condemned. Man, I'll tell you what, man, the devil will beat your brains out with stuff that don't matter anymore. They'll come in and bring up all your shortcomings and all this stuff that's under, under the blood of Christ, all the stuff that, that God has already taken care of, and I'll just boom, 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 whoop you. Treat you like the seven sons of Sceva. I mean, whoop you naked, man. <laughs> just tear you up big time. Because we are not, when we receive Christ, we are not under condemnation. There should be no guilt hanging on any believer. There shouldn't be any guilt. There should be nothing guilt-driven at all about our relationship with God. If you are reading your Bible out of guilt, quit it. Stop it. Stop doing it and don't open it again until you can do it guilt-free. Do you do it because you can't wait to see what your Father and God has? And I don't uh, Preachers would slap me for saying this. I don't care if it takes you two or three months. Don't read it. Don't do it. Until you can do it, with, and it's not driven out of guilt. Well, I've got to read my Bible. That's what a good believer does. No. It is the word of life. And when you go to it for that, it's alive. It changes you. When you go to it just because that's what you're supposed to do, then it's dead and dry guilt-driven, it's worthless. And I tell you what, don't come to church out of guilt. Well, we're still small. Pastor Brandon notice if I'm not there. He, he's called me before. I wasn't there one week, and he called me like three days later. I better be there. He's, I call not to guilt you, but because I care, and I want to make sure everything's good with you. That's it. That is it. If you're out having a great time, with your family, you need a break. And glory to God, skip a Sunday and go have a nice picnic with your family every once in a while. You're not going to hurt my feelings. You are not. You know? It's not about having to, you know, make sure you bust the doors every Sunday. I'm glad that, y- that y'all are here and I'm here every Sunday. <laughs> Try to be. But it's, uh, it's not about that. It's not this guilt-driven thing. There is no condemnation. Zippo. Zero. And any time you start doing something and you start operating out of guilt, and I tell you what, man, there have been times that I have, you know, take my wife out to eat or something, and it's out of guilt because I've been busy, and, you know, and she's made some remarks. If you know my wife, you know she's not quiet. She's pretty forward about I've ticked her off. She's not here, but she'll. Y'all will. Y'all will tell her. She knows. I'd say this with her right there. I'd cower, but I'd say it. And, uh, but man, I'm telling you, it's a. It's totally different. That that evening together, is totally different when she knows that I'm doing it out of guilt, than instead of. Me going, wow, baby, I can't wait to spend some time with you. I've cleared my schedule, and I just couldn't stay away from you another second. It's totally different atmosphere than whenever I'm going, man, baby, you know, I, I blew it. You know, those, uh, those I'm sorry gifts are not the same, don't weigh the same as the I love you and you're just the greatest thing on the planet gifts. They're just different. And we are supposed to be doing, just be doing everything out of love for God. He, he did it out of love for us. 
He did everything out of love for us, and everything we do for him ought to be out of love. It shouldn't be out of condemnation or guilt or any of that junk. The word believe here simply means to trust, to depend, to rely on. It's a relationship word. And that's what the will of the Father is, for us to rely on, to trust, to have a relationship with the Son. That's what it has to be about. It's not about all this other stuff. We, there are great works that we're going to do. Great works you will do, but it's out of relationship. It's not out of guilt or trying to earn God's love or anything like that. In other words, becoming a Christian is not a matter of saying or doing something, but of trusting someone. Salvation is not about the things we do for God, but <clears throat> about accepting what he has done for us. When we make it about what we do for him, we've missed it. It's about what he's done for us. And we keep that in that order. And some of you, you've been struggling to move forward. Some of y'all have been talking about that. And you say, Pastor Brandon, I'm tired of hearing you say move forward. I've hit the same brick wall over and over and over again. Well, you know what? Maybe your brick wall has been...